Hello, hello, ladies. Welcome back to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week my guest is Laura Benke. She is a writer, speaker, coach, and the creator of The Life Actually Company. A 16-year TV sports anchor and reporter veteran, Laura left the business in 2017 to pursue her passion for supporting and empowering women in all phases of their life. Her work helps women put aside the idea of what you should be doing and instead to embrace your unique path. There's the way you thought your life would go. And then there's the life actually. It's the actually that holds all the possibilities once you choose to accept it. Laura lives in San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, Mark, and their Labradoodle, Oxford. Everybody, please welcome Laura. Hi. Hi, Paola. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. So I met Laura through a mutual friend of ours, right? Yes. And June, who is June, amazing. Oh my God. June is amazing. If you've never listened to June, the Joy Code episode, go back and listen to her episode. She is an incredible human. I still am friends with her to this day. The she best. And she connected us. I did Laura's podcast, The Life Actually podcast, and she is doing me the grand honor of being on mine. And there's so much to talk about. So let's start from the beginning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, from the beginning. Wow. I, I, it, <laughs> when you get to, I'm 41 years old now. So I look back on the beginning and I am just like, wow, that was me. That feels like 10 lifetimes ago sometimes with right. everything that has happened. Um, but, you know, I was so convinced that I would get married. I would have kids and I'd work. I'd have a career, but none of that really mattered to me too much because I just figured having that relationship and having that family, everything else would fall into place mm-hmm. and I could kind of figure it out as, as I went. So, you know, it's, it's interesting how plans work. You know, we, we think, especially when we're young and don't know any better, we think we have all these ideas about how it's going to happen, which is so much of what I work with women on now is is dealing with those ideas that we had and and how we process when they don't go accordingly because yeah. oh my gosh do they ever go ap- accordingly i mean <laughs> how Never. many times have your plans <laughs> changed <laughs> right it's the cosmic yeah. joke right when you think you know everything bam <laughs> here's exactly. a life lesson for you to learn <laughs> exactly and it's not just like oh i have a plan okay, it's not going to work. Now I have another plan. And then that's the plan for the rest of your life. Like how many iterations of the plan have been going on in my head? Like since I knew that I was going to be an adult one day, it's it's kind of crazy. (laughs) But the problem though, with having the family and the husband and all of that was that I never dated. Like in high school, I never dated. Nobody asked me out. Really? Was, you didn't have a boyfriend? Nope. Never. Nothing. Um, I was always, <laughs> I was always tall. So I'm 5'11 oh. and I always blamed it on that. But you mm. know, let's be honest. There's, it's tough being a kid. It's tough being yeah. a high schooler. And who aren't knows? you glad we didn't have social media? Oh my, I am thankful for that every day. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Um, but yeah, so I looked around me at all of my friends in high school who were dating and who had these serious relationships. And I was like, whoa, I don't have that. So mm. maybe I need to readjust my plan and I need to focus more on a career and what it is that I want to do. And then everything else will come into play. And then who knows what will happen with the career because that then I'll have the relationship. But in the meantime, maybe I should start thinking about seriously about the career. And so 
Uh, I went off to college and initially thought I was going to be a theater major because I was a theater geek all through high school. Absolutely loved acting, being on stage. It was everything to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was like, oh, cool. I'll do this super staple career of being an actor. (laughs) My parents were like, I'm sorry, what now? (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) the opposite of stability. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know, but I loved it. And I was, you know, a naive 18 year old who was like, well, if this is what I want and I try really, really hard well, then of course it's going to happen for me. Yeah. 18 year old Laura had so much to learn. (laughs) Um, So my parents insisted that I double major and I decided to double major in journalism. And after my freshman year of college, I was like, you know what? I actually don't think that I have the passion for theater to have my full-time job be looking for a job, at least at mm. first. Yeah, that's I, what it is, right? I want a job. Yeah, I, I kind of want a job. So I switched to the much more stable career of TV, sports, journalism. Um, yeah. So I remember telling my mom as I was getting closer to graduation, because all of my friends were like business majors and had much more like mainstream goals for their jobs. Like they were all getting offers when they were still, you know, midway through our senior year. And I'm watching all of my friends, like accountants, you know, all like all, all of those things that I never wanted to do, but like, I was watching them all get these job offers. And I was like, holy crap, I will be lucky if I get a job like within, I don't know, the first year of graduating. And so I was trying to explain to my mom one day, like, okay, here's the deal. When in TV, you start out small and you work your way up and the first job is not going to pay much at all. Like we're talking $15,000 a year, but it's experience and it's what I have to do. And she was like, oh, okay. Okay. That's great. Sure. No problem. No problem. Well, I graduated from college with no job. I had sent out probably 60 tapes. This was back in the day. I graduated in 2002. Uh, Everything was still, if you can believe it, on VHS tapes. So <laughs> I had like the multiple VCR situation so I could make dubs. And I, cause you have to send out a reel. Nowadays you'd send a link and that would be yeah. real. I had 60, I believe I 60 to 70 different jobs that I sent tapes and my resume out to. And I heard back from one. Wow. One. And that was about a month after I graduated. Thankfully, they offered me the job. It was in in a town called Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Uh, population. <laughs> Where the heck is oh, that? Yeah, right? it's. I've never way heard of it. <laughs> no, no one has, unless you're in, unless you're from Wisconsin. Yeah, no one has. I mean, it's it's way up north. It's almost at the Michigan border. Oh my gosh. Where were you living at the time? At the time. So I grew up in Minneapolis. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin and I had moved back home after graduating. So I had always lived, like I grew up in the suburbs of of Minneapolis, but still I was close to a big city. I always thought of myself as like a city person. Madison's not a huge town, but I mean, their population's like, gosh, these days, I'm not sure, probably over 300,000. So it's not small either. Okay. And now I moved to a town of 6,000. <laughs> it's like, it's like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Without any of the like cheesy bliss that goes on in a Hallmark And no movie. cute guys. <laughs> and no cute guys. No. Um, not at all. My, to put it in perspective, it's, a, I mean, it's, it's in the north woods of Wisconsin. So it is a beautiful area. It is lakes. It is trees. It is where my parents always talked about retiring. Oh, and 22-year-old Laura moves there. <laughs> so so yeah, thankfully they 
He offered me a job. It was the only one I got. And it paid me $16,000 a year. And I remember wow. saying to my mom, mom, it's more than I told you in her face. Like she, she was like white. She's like, I thought you were joking. I was like, no, this is the reality. Uh, so yeah, I was there. But $16,000 a year is not going to even cover. Oh, no. Your no. living expenses. No, it was terrible. I was I was very very privileged that my parents could help me. They oh, helped good. Me for the first, oh gosh, they for helped me for the first three or four years because it 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 wasn't until I got to well, it really wasn't until I got to San Francisco about six years later <laughs> that I was oh my actually gosh. earning enough to, to fully support myself with no worries. But that's what TV is. You you move up and things are different now because there are so many different ways to consume video media. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not just you have to go to a network, you have to go to a local station and, and work your way up, which is how it was for me. So I was doing that route. You, you stay there for a little bit, you get better, you get a better reel, and then you move on to the next. So I was fortunate after like four months to get to Madison, Wisconsin. And back where I went to school. So that felt like a huge, huge jump because I was, it was a city that I loved. It was a city I was familiar with. It felt much more comfortable. And there I was making $21,000. Wow. You baller. Yeah, I know. I was rolling in it, (laughs) but uh, it was a necessary part of my TV journey. Yeah. And then from there, I was there for a couple of years and then I ended up making it out to Boston. I got incredibly lucky. I was 25 years old when I started in Boston. The market sizes always kind of vary depending on population, but the top market in the country is New York because that has the highest population of people that watch. Yeah, um, Boston at the time was like six-ish, something like that. I have no idea what it is now, but it's probably right around there. So I got really lucky all of a sudden making this jump to, to Boston. And I was a 25-year-old kid who didn't even know what I didn't know. So all of a sudden I'm covering the Red Sox had just broken their 86 year curse and had just won the world series. So I was covering them. I was covering the Patriots during the middle of the Tom Brady middle, late two thousands dynasty. I was covering a lot of very intense stuff and I had no idea what I was doing. So it was a <laughs> great experience to learn. I, what I, what I realized very quickly is that if I kind of, especially at first in that first year, if I just kind of hang back, everybody else here, they've been doing this for a long time. They know what they're doing and I just need to observe. I don't have to try and pretend that I know everything right now. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to watch and I'm going to see how people, how pe- professionals handle this business. And then I'll figure it out for myself. And so I really, you know, some people go into a, a new situation that can be really intimidating and scary and be like, I just got to put myself out there and I have to just like pretend I know what I'm doing. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I just uh, don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm going to watch and I'm going to observe. And it was really good for me. It was, I, I, I think I, I really grew up in Boston. That was when I really kind of started to develop who I was as a reporter, who I was as an anchor, who I wanted to be. And all the while that husband and family was still not coming around. So. Yeah. But you so were how old at this point? 23? I was 25 when I started. In 25. Boston. Yeah. Yeah. I see, I think that females have this like idea that we should be married by a certain age yeah. and we give ourselves this like ceiling. Oh, if we're not married by the time we're 25 or if we're, we're not married by the time we're 26 or, you know, or 30, we think that like we've missed the boat. 
you know? And well, there is like the little layer of like our eggs have a certain time limit (laughs) to have a baby, but like that pressure of, even though you're being successful in your business and like your journalist career, that little like voice in the back of your head is still saying, but you're not married and you don't have any kids. It's like that piece is carrying your worth versus like everything that you're doing and accomplishing on your own. Yeah. Oh, I know. It is huge. And it affects all of us to such a strong degree. And oftentimes we don't even realize it. You know, I, I was working my way up through TV. I was, I was getting jobs that some people were working their whole careers to get. Like I remember leaving Madison and going to Boston and it it was, I got so lucky. I just want to just want to say how lucky I got to make it from the number 86 market, whatever Madison was at the time, to the number six market in Boston. I was very fortunate. I was good at what I did, but I was also really lucky. And I remember some people in Madison who had been there for years saw me make that move and were not happy. And I I get it. Like I, mm-hmm. I definitely get it now. At the time I was hurt, but I definitely get it now. Like it's it's a it's difficult a huge business. move. It's a huge move. And and was I ready? I mean, probably not, but are we all <laughs> ever really ready Never. for the next big steps in our lives? Right. So I was I was having success. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was doing what I told myself I needed to do. I wanted to just crush it in this male-dominated business. I wanted to be, you know, I had goals of going national one day, hopefully sooner rather than later. And so I, you know, I made it from Boston. Then I went to San Francisco, uh, which was a similar market to Boston. And then after a couple of years in San Francisco, I got a job in New York City. So I ended up in the number one market in the country, a city that I adore. It was my goal. My New York City was always my goal. Other than meeting the husband and the kids, New York City (laughs) was the next big thing. And I got to New York City at, I had just turned 31 and I was thrilled. Like this, this was it. I was at a local station. I wasn't national yet, but I was at a local station. So it was basically the number one station in the country in terms of viewership. And I was the weekend sports anchor. Like it was so cool to be there. And I was so thrilled and I'm living on the Upper West Side. I had an apartment that I stumbled upon and got so lucky that like actually overlooked the park. I, I, who am I? I didn't, who am I? I'm 31 years old. I had a couple of friends already in the city, but I started to make some, some more uh, other women who were in the business who were just amazing and awesome. And I had this, great, great life. Family that was supportive, that that loved me, that was proud of me, good friends, a good job. For the first time, I was actually making enough money that I could not only pay my bills, but I could actually relax and have fun. And in a city like New York, that is not easy to do. So I was, <laughs> I was doing really well. And yet my early 30s, up early to, to mid 30s were some of the most miserable years of my Aww. life because I was single. And because I had never, not only did I never have a boyfriend in high school, I had never had a relationship. So not even in your 20s or your 30s, no one asked you out on a date. I would go out on a couple dates. Like I think my max was like three or four dates with any one guy. And that was it. And do you think that maybe they were a little intimidated by you? Well, that's what people always love to tell me. 
which I absolutely hated to hear. But it's the reality of things. I mean, I feel like men get intimidated, especially if you're like on national, well, not national TV, but to them, like on television, you're sort of somewhat famous and you're doing sports. And they're probably thinking like, she probably knows more about this sport than me. And they kind of get, you know, emasculated. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely. Intimidation is a factor. What I wish that we could do more of as a society, instead of framing it and telling women, oh, you're just so intimidating. You're just so intimidating. Like, why can we not change this and be like, guys, yes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I, I absolutely believe that. Like, but you also have to find the right man that has the confidence enough to be with someone who is successful. Like yes. where, cause I, I dated a guy who was making $13 an hour and I was making at the time $60,000 a year. And I remember I had just gotten a raise. I went from like 51 to 60. So it was like a $9,000 raise. And I was so excited and I wanted to go out to dinner and he was so pissed at me Yeah, and livid. He wasn't excited for me at all. He just kept saying, are you going to be one of those women? And I'm like, what one of those women? Like, you know, and the whole time he was just like infuriated that I was making more money than him. And then from then on, he forced me to pay for almost everything because he was like, well, you make more money. And, Uh. you know, and it's like these men who are just out there unsuccessful and feeling intimidated because of all the wrong programming that they got as a child, whatever, like they're dealing with their own trauma, unhealed shit, but they like put it on you. And it's like, that's so sad. But the reality is, is that we have a lot of walking wounded people out there (laughs) that need to be healed. And we probably have a lot more available, remarkable men (laughs) ready to date. (laughs) No, it's very true. It's very, very true. And you know, this is, this is so much of what my company is now in the work that I do now with working with women is to, to help them because I was convinced there was something wrong with me because mm. all of these men who couldn't handle what it was that I did or whatever reasons there were for, for me not having a relationship, I didn't, I never put it on them. Yeah. I always put it on me. I was like, well, there's something wrong with me. Uh, all of my other friends are, are getting dates. All of my other friends are married. Like I'm not. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't view it from like their issues as well. All I could yeah. focus on was mine and that it was all my fault. And, but I do remember when I finally at 35 and a friend made me go on match, I do remember they had the whole criteria, you know, what you're looking for and you could get super specific. And I remember the income one and the income one really made me uncomfortable because I was like, I don't necessarily, like, I want you to have a job and I want you to have a, like a drive for life, but I don't necessarily care how much you're making, but I'm super worried you care about how much yeah. I am making. So I always checked the box that like coincided with what I was making or more, or more. Not because I'm looking for tons of money from you, but I didn't trust that most guys could handle going out with somebody who was more financially successful than them. Yeah. I wonder Um, what the statistics are about that. Like what the real statistics are of men who actually don't care how much more money the wife would make, you know, but I I really do think it's a large part of the population of men who feel emasculated when the woman is bringing home more of the money. Yeah, And I- 
Yeah. And I actually did that myself. Like when I finally got out of that toxic relationship, I made a list of everything that I wanted in my future husband. And I, and the very top five was has to make as much money as me or more mm-hmm. because of like all the toxic attitude and everything and behaviors that I experienced with my ex who couldn't stand that I was making more money than him. So I was like, I don't want to have to deal with that. I I really don't like we either are equals or he makes more than me. So he could feel better about himself. (laughs) I don't want to have to deal with that, but it, it really is a huge factor. It is for a lot of, for a lot of people. And it's unfortunate. And I, you know, now being in the situation that I am in having met the person that I did and, and being married to him, all of that has totally gone out the window. Like he is, mm-hmm. he does not fit into, I, I never would have had to cater to him. I never did have to cater to him or, or protect his ego or anything like that. And the problem that I had leading up to meeting him was that I didn't believe that that existed. I believed mm. that I was going to have to, in some way, settle. I was going to mm. have to dim my light in some way so that he could shine. And then that's how our relationship would work because I'd never experienced anything that was supportive and and loving and, and healthy in that way. So I totally understand why. Oh my gosh. I, I love that settle. you just said that, Laura, because I was just watching a TikTok two or three days ago. And it was this girl who just was like going on a rant. And she was like, I've decided that I am just going to die alone. I'm never going to date again. In my age range, there's just absolutely no good guys out there. They just, you know, and she just was like on this whole tyrant thing. Like, I'm just going to say like, this sucks. Dating sucks. I'm in Los Angeles. The, you know, the dating field out here sucks. I'm never going to go spend my energy on this anymore. And, you know, once I watched that, I remember going downstairs and telling my husband, this used to be me. I used to believe that there there were no good men anymore. All yeah. of the men were either married, taken, or gay. Like yeah, they were yeah. gone. Like there was no good men. And at the time I was 35. And so, mm-hmm. you know, going rewinding back to when you were saying you were 31 and you still hadn't found anybody, but everybody was proud of you. But around 31 to 33, 35 was when you're like, I feel like your biological clock starts ticking. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden babies are extra cute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, like all of your friends are either married and have two or three kids or are on their first divorce or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's Mm -hmm. just like, you do feel this, like this urge of like, oh my gosh, I'm missing the train. Like everybody else has been on the train has, you know, already on their second ride or third ride, you know, have three or four passengers in their little family and you are (laughs) not even on the train. You're not even at the station. And so like, that's what I was feeling. And I remember telling my husband, my brain could not fathom the life that I have now Mm -hmm. at all. I could not fathom a husband who loves me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. I could not fathom living in a home that's like nicely decorated. I could not fathom driving my dream car and doing my life work. And I was telling him and, you know, pardon me if I'm getting a little religious, but like going to the Bible where it says, lean not on your own understanding, because our own understanding is like, like the tiniest little bubble, you know, (laughs) and you don't believe that there's all these like amazing, remarkable men who are actually healed or have done the work and are ready to love someone unconditionally. Like there are men out there. And I wanted to do like a duet with that girl because 
there really are men out there and how we speak about ourselves and how we believe. I believe that what we say casts spells over us. And so when we say, oh, it's me, there are no good men out there. That's the reality that we're bringing into our you know, existence. That's so true. It's so true. And I, I feel like, you know, going back to the age thing, I feel like your 20s, yeah, some people are getting married and having kids starting in their 20s. I always kind of thought that that's what would happen for me. But as it wasn't, your 20s still kind of feel like a pass. Like mm-hmm. you can, you know, it's just your 20s. You could, okay, cool. So go have fun, do all that. But once you get into your 30s, it suddenly, it feels like it's getting real, you know, and that biological <laughs> yeah. clock is unfortunately, that part is real. Uh, for a lot of us, but at the same time, we don't know. We don't. We don't know what what our reproductive future holds. Twenty six mm-hmm. year olds have a hard time getting pregnant. Forty five year olds sometimes get pregnant naturally with a very healthy baby. Like we don't know. But you get into your thirties, and the reality of the situation really starts yeah. kind of hit, and you have to start making. We start making choices then based on on those pressures. And so for me, turning thirty was not. I was not bothered by 30. 30 just felt like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm into a new decade. It's fine. Whatever. 35 (laughs) was terrifying for me. Mm. I think it's because I hit 35 and suddenly 40 was on the horizon. And 40 was, (laughs) it was five years away, but I was just as close to 40 as I was to 30. And yet my life in terms of, well, actually in many ways, my life had not changed since I was 30. I was still in the same job, still single. I had still never had a relationship and I was, I was panicking. So turning Mm. 35 was a pretty dark time for me. I, I definitely spiraled. I had friends who would later tell me that they had started to kind of distance themselves from me because I was angry. I I was angry a lot. I I totally ruined a a family vacation that was, we were celebrating my mom's 60th birthday and I totally ruined it because I was just so miserable and upset with the way my life was going and that I did not have a partner. And I remember my dad being like, you have to find something in your life to be happy about. Like you have to find an outlet because this is not sustainable. You cannot be angry all the time. And that's when I, that's when I started volunteering with elementary school kids, reading with them once a week before school started. And it was like this moment where I, it wasn't about me. It was about the kids. And I could, I could not think about the fact that I didn't have any of them of my own, I, I would, ju- it was just about the kids. Yeah. And so for like, you know, an hour, once a week, every morning, uh, one morning, every week, I could forget all the things I was worried about for me. And I could think about somebody else. And so that yeah. was a really important thing for me, but it was, oh my God, it was hard. And I was starting mm. to get to the point where I wasn't loving my job anymore. I wasn't really loving the business. I wasn't loving a lot of aspects of it. And so now I'm still single. I'm having some doubts about the business and my, my long-term future within it. And I was like, well, what do I have? So it was, it was rough. I did a whole YouTube video about this because it's like, when you are missing one piece of your life that, and here's the thing, like we've been programmed to believe this is, you know, how life works. You go go to school, you go to college, you get your degree, you find the love of your, your soulmate. Yep. Get married, you have children, you have the career, either you have the career before your children or you have the career after your children. And then you you retire and you live happily ever after in Florida, you know, and with your grandchildren. (laughs) That that's like the path that everyone has been programmed to believe. I mean, that's what marketing sells us all the time. 
And when you're watching these commercials and you're not living the programmed life, you really do start to pick apart, even though everything else of your puzzle called life was going great. All you focused on was that one missing piece. which then made everything else rot into its place. Like it's no longer a beautiful puzzle. Now that one missing piece is creating like a rotten puzzle. And and it sucks because you really did have everything. Like your dad, it's like focus on what's great. And I love that you went to go do things with children. I tell my clients all the time, like when you're feeling like the shittiest of the shittiest, hang out with a child because they'll they'll (laughs) remind you of like the simplicity and beauty of life. Uh And they'll their laughter of the littlest things and how they see things, it just it makes you realize that your problems aren't as big as you make them seem. And it helps you just have this like childlike joy again. Um, but man, how did you get out of that? Like other than helping and volunteering, what yeah. was that aha moment that like sparked that light to be like, okay, I have to like get a hold of myself. Yeah. Well, it was a bit of a process. There was, there was kind of a moment, but I feel like it was a bunch of moments that needed to kind of come together to click for me. I was a few months into being 35. So I had been seeing a therapist basically since I moved to New York, which I highly recommend. Like, it's just so good and cathartic to be able to just talk to someone who has no skin in the game about mm-hmm. what it is that's going on in your life. And a few years into seeing her, I was just so struggling with being single. And I felt like it was flooding over into so many parts of my life. And so I started on a very mild antidepressant which helped a lot and helped me kind of put things more balanced. And, you know, everybody is different in what they need in their life. For me at the time, that's what I needed. Uh, After turning 35, I felt myself spiraling again. And so we actually upped the dose a little bit. It was still not an intense dosage, but we upped it a little. That started to help. But I needed to do some things for myself. I needed to do some things that would make me happy. And so here we are. It's the you know, it's winter in New York City. It's snowy, it's cold, it's gross. And all I wanted to do was get out and go to Mexico and have a vacation and sit on the <laughs> beach and drink pina coladas. That Hell yeah. <laughs> but here, I, who do you go with? You know, I'm single. All of my friends, if they're going to go on a vacation, they're going with their significant other. I also, I worked weekends. I had the weirdest schedule in the world. So I was like, you're going to go for it by yourself. You're going to do it by yourself and it's going to be great. And I had, I had gone to Mexico by myself a few years earlier and it was good. It was a good experience, but I found myself the entire time thinking I'm here alone. Mm. I'm here alone. Like I'm proud of myself that I'm here, but just, just a reminder, you're here alone. Like it was, yeah. was the, and then <laughs> the watching all the couples and just getting even yeah. more angry and bitter. Exactly. Exactly. So this time though, it was different. And I, I don't know why exactly I allowed it to be different. Maybe I was just, I was just ready for it to be different, but I was so excited about this trip and I allowed myself to get excited about all the possibilities that I, I, that could happen on this trip because I didn't have to do whatever anybody else wanted. Like it was totally up to me. And I remember arriving and the the first time I went to Mexico, I feel like the resort was like, who is this woman? Why is she here by herself? We are very worried about her. Like it was, it was a very <laughs> awkward thing. Every single person who worked at that resort, I feel like was like, what, what, you're alone. <laughs> like, yes, I I'm alone. Thanks for pointing it out. But this time, like I checked in, I remember the guy, you know, walking me through everything. And he's like, so are you, are you here for a wedding or are other people joining you? And I was like, no, I'm here by myself. He was like, oh, 
okay. And maybe I was more like confident and assertive in that. I didn't mm-hmm. deal with that once again uh, on the rest of the, the trip. Nobody, nobody again asked me about why are you alone or are you really not with someone? So yeah, that, that was helpful that that went away, but I think that my attitude about it kind of helped yeah. with that as well. That vacation was one of the best that I've ever had. And you know, I've, I've been on some awesome vacations with my husband. We had a honeymoon in the Maldives. Like we have, we've gone to some cool places. This will always be up there with my favorite Mm. vacations because I was, I was me. Like I got, I just got to do whatever I wanted. And not that there's usually bad things that you have to do when you're on a beach vacation at a gorgeous (laughs) resort, but still like I got to decide what I wanted to do. I was like, you know what? I'm going to work out every morning. I am going to go to bed early because why am I staying up? I don't care. I'm going to (laughs) work, wake up early. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get my breakfast and I'm going to be like the first one out there to reserve the best beach chair at ever. And (laughs) I'll have a lot in my hand when the swim up bar opens. (laughs) And that, that was the, that was my vacation. And it was just, it was so healing in a mm. lot of ways. And I came home from it thinking, okay, that was, that was awesome. And what I didn't really realize, and I realize now more that as I've kind of processed things better over the years, but I had finally given myself permission mm. to enjoy a trip by myself instead of constantly telling myself, well, sure, this trip is great, but you're alone. Yeah. Instead, it was like, this is your trip. You get to do what you want. So go have fun. And I took a little bit of that back with me to New York. And about a month or so later, I was out in San Francisco to visit my brother, who he and his wife had just had their first child. He was a few months old. I was in love with my nephew. I still am. Uh, (laughs) They've added a couple since then. But this was, you know, this is my first nephew. I was so excited to go out and see them, but always... There always had been with my brother. He's younger than me, and yet he got married first. He had kids first. He did all the stuff yeah. first. Was there was always some difficulties there for me in dealing with that? I always I was so happy for him, but at the same time, his happiness reminded me of what I didn't have and that mm. I thought I should have. Yeah. But on this trip, it was a little different. Like I handled that part of it a lot better. Uh, and there was this one morning that we, it was a Saturday morning in April. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous spring morning in California. And we were walking through, they lived in the Marina neighborhood in San Francisco for anybody who knows that area. So you're right down by the water it's Beautiful. We walked to go get, it is, we walked to go get some coffee and then we're had the baby in the stroller and we were walking back and we're walking through their neighborhood. And this older woman probably 80s was walking Mm -hmm. towards us and she was by herself. I do not know this woman. I never spoke to this woman. We didn't even really make eye contact. But as this woman was walking towards us, she had this huge smile on her face. She was looking around, enjoying the beautiful day. And I created this story in my head in this like 10 seconds that I encountered (laughs) her. I created this story in my head. I was like, she's alone. She looks so happy. She lives in San Francisco. She lives in an amazing city in an awesome neighborhood. And why couldn't that be me? Why couldn't I you know, work really hard in my career, do what I need to do to make enough money to be able to move wherever I wanted? And maybe that would be San Francisco. And maybe I'm never going to have kids, but my nephew is here and I know there will be more. I can be the best aunt ever. Mm-hmm. And 
I can decide if on a Saturday morning, I want to take a walk through the neighborhood to go get coffee or if I want to sleep in or all of a sudden it was like this curtain opened onto the potential that I had for a future. Yeah. And what I really eventually realized is that I had been so dialed into the idea that my future had to be a husband and kids and that that mm-hmm. what everything else would fall into place around that but everything was pinned to that mm-hmm. and so when I didn't even have a boyfriend or I didn't even have a date I so far away from that belief I had in a future that my actual future given the things that I could control and the things I currently had it was blank. I mm. did not have a future. No wonder I was terrified. No, no <laughs> wonder I was crying myself to sleep some nights and so worried about the future because I wasn't allowing myself. I wasn't giving myself permission to envision a life that I had control over. And yeah. so something clicked with me in that moment. And I went back to New York and I was like, no, I can make plans. Like I can do this. I, if, if I want to be the best aunt ever, and I want to live, like I can live in San Francisco, money is always an issue. So I kind of was like, we'll figure all that out later. But you know, I, <laughs> I, that's a great way to do it though. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I, I have things I can get excited about and, you know, and also a nice little perk. My nephew at the time was, uh, he was born in October. This was April. So it, you know, six, seven months. I'd never mm. changed a diaper for him yet. Cause I got to be the super cool aunt that held him and fed yeah. him and then was like, Oh guys, nope. So he needs a diaper change. And I could hand him off. It's like, <laughs> that, that could be my, like those, this is the kid experience I could have. And I never have to change a diaper. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And so I, I finally started to kind of settle into this idea that it was going to be okay. Mm. Even if I didn't find the guy I had to, I had to accept that it was possible that I was not, I was never going to find the guy because I Mm. only wanted to find the right guy. I did not want to settle as I had seen so many people do. Yeah. I did not want that. I, I finally started to believe that a life I could create for myself, by myself was already so much better than a life with somebody who was not right for me. Mm, I love that. This episode is sponsored by CoachSnap. Are you looking for an all-in-one platform to help you build your coaching business? Then you need CoachSnap. It allows you to schedule appointments, collect payments, train and support all of your clients' needs. Health, fitness, hockey, football, or even life coaches can use CoachSnap. It's the business platform that will help you be the best coach you can be. Yeah, so much, so much to unpack here. Uh, Let's go rewind a little bit to your Mexico trip. So for those of you who are listening, if you are just listening to her story, because I like to analyze things, (laughs) if you think about it, here she is, she's like miserable and she's putting off this like angry energy vibe, right? And she's so like, oh my God, it's got to be this way and it's not this way. So I'm so angry. So she's got this angry energy vibe, like basically permeating out of her body, right? It's like oozing out. So obviously that is a repellent. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's constantly angry, even though she's not lashing out at anybody, the anger around her aura is showing. She goes to Mexico and she lets go and she's finally herself. So that wall of anger is gone. And now she's in this place of my heart is open. My mind is open. I'm allowing, I'm allowing. And so when she goes to San Francisco, it's like, 
all of a sudden the universe shows her this is how your life can be. It can't, it doesn't have to be the way you visualize it, but it can be this way. And th that like moment for me, I think about like how I didn't really cherish my singlehood, you know? And I think a lot of us are so busy as females, like we have to get married. I have to have children. I have to do this. It's the timeline. If I don't do it by this time and we don't really enjoy being single. Like there's so many great things about being single. Like she yes. just listed them all out. Like get up in the morning and work out every single day, get the, the perfect chair by the pool. And like, <laughs> you know, maybe take a yoga class, maybe go to, you know, do the spa and get a facial and, and not feel guilty because your kids are home or because your husband's waiting for you or you know what I'm saying? It's like being able to have that freedom of enjoying yourself and doing what you want to do without having to check in with somebody or having your child like bother you or being in the bathroom because you, they need you now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's a reason why I feel like, and I tell a lot of people, there's no point in getting married in your twenties. Like you're a completely different person from when you're 20 to when you're 30. <laughs> and even in your thirties, I feel like you're still self-discovering yourself. And that's when you start to realize what you really like and what you really want in your life. And I just love the way everything panned out for you because it was like this amazing opening of a flower. Like first you were really, yeah. really like, this is it, this has got to be it. And, and you were like this tight, tight flower, like I'm not going to do it. And then it was like, I'm now going to let go. And, I, and that's one thing that I wrote in that one girl's TikTok comments. When you stop looking, he will show up. When you just finally, and that's what happened to me. Once I, once I just was like, okay, like, I love that you said I could be the best aunt. That's exactly what I said to you. I'm like, we're total soul, soul sisters. I was thinking hashtag soul sister. Cause I really thought I was like, well, I'm never going to be a wife and I'm never going to be a mom, but I could be the best damn aunt I could possibly be. I could be the best sister. I could be the best coworker. I could be the best property manager. <laughs> Cause that's yes. what I was at the time <laughs> I could be, you know, and I just embraced my singlehood and within three months, my husband showed up. So really yeah. didn't get that much time to be single and really yeah, enjoy yeah. it. But you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> like, who's ever listening to this and listening to Laura's story. And if you're single and you're in your thirties or in your late forties and you think this is it, I have, I'm going to die alone. Once you really let go of what you think. And I love that her company's called life actually should be. Once you let go of that life, actually, you will see the unfolding of your life. Yeah. I also want to, you know, for me, what, what was really important to me when I was, for me, when I was single and struggling that I didn't have, you know, everybody wanted to try and fix it for me. They wanted to try and tell me what to do, all the ways that I was dating wrong or, or the, the walls that I was putting up, or you just need to think positive. You know, there was so much more. <laughs> that I had to go through than to just yeah. think positive. But what I, what I really, really needed was somebody to, and I remember having this conversation with my mom and I was like, mom, I need you to stop telling me that it's going to happen. Instead, I just need you to acknowledge that what I'm going through is really tough, that mm. it is really hard to not have the thing that you so badly want in your life, the thing that you see other people have, the thing that no one can explain to you why necessarily it's not happening for you. I need you to sit with me in that and to, to yeah. say, yes, this is really hard. You're doing the best that you can. And I'm really sorry, but I'm here for you. Like, I, I don't want to make it seem like, so just, you know, everything will be okay when you just figure this out. And like, this is hard. It's really hard to feel yeah. this way. 
And it's no one really has it figured thing. out. No. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be no nice one. if we could figure out how to figure it out? But yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. It's really hard stuff. You know, and and for me, it was it took years of trying to figure out how to get to this place and then yeah. kind of almost a light bulb moment, if you will. I think maybe I was just so I was exhausted with being angry and frustrated. Mm, yeah. um, I was exhausted with feeling hopeless. And so it's amazing when you can inject a little bit of hope into your outlook, how much that can change things. Because it was six weeks after I came home from San Francisco that I actually met my husband. Wow. I don't want to, you know, I I always am very hesitant to, because I, I, there is no one way for any of this to work. So I I hate to like make it seem like, so I did this, 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 and this, and then he showed up. Like everybody is different. Everybody's process is going to be different. But what I firmly believe is that by the time my husband came into my life, I was in a place where I knew I didn't need him. Mm. I wanted him, but I didn't, I didn't need a relationship. I, I knew for the first time in my life that I, I was going to be okay if it didn't work out. So when I walked into that first date, I didn't have the feeling that I had every previous first date with every other guy, which was, Oh, please have this be the one this, yeah. this time it has to work out. Right. What can I do to make sure he likes me? What, yeah, what can the desperation. I do? Yeah. And I walked into that date and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't need this. And, and, and if he totally sucks and if this is a terrible date, whatever we met on unmatched. So I, I knew a, you know, a few things about him and we've been talking and a big selling point for me was that, you know, he's from England. So he has a, he has a British accent. And I was hey, like, that's worst, a great selling point. <laughs> it, it definitely is. I was like the, the worst case scenario, I have a glass of wine and I get to listen to a British accent for, for yeah. an hour. And then I make my escape. Like that's the worst case because I'll be okay. I will be okay if this does not work out. And I really believe that he is the first man who actually met me, the real Laura, instead of the Laura who was desperately trying to figure out what he wanted me to be and was desperately trying to figure out what I wanted to be. I I walked into that situation myself, my full self, and you know, things progress pretty quickly from there. You know, it, it helps when you're, I was 35 and a half, he was 37. Like we're not playing around anymore when you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I did, I would say to him all the time, you know, why could I not have met you 10 years ago? Because mm-hmm. now here we are in our mid to late thirties already. We have to start thinking about kids and, and savings and retirement and, you know, all of these like <laughs> heavy, big things like, oh, I, why couldn't we have met 10 years ago when we could just have fun and travel and do whatever we wanted and not have to worry about any of the big stuff. And, and then we could ease into it whenever, you know, on our time. And he, all, he said from the very beginning, and he stands, he stands by this. He was like, when I was 28, I would not have known how to treat you in the way mm. you deserve to be treated. And I'm like, oh, when I was 28, I would have had no idea that I needed to demand that. Right. So I wasn't ready. girl. (laughs) He wasn't ready. I mean, it took took us to get to this point and the experiences that we had to get through to be such an ideal match for each other at that point in life. And so I'm grateful. I'm incredibly grateful for the weird, twisted journey that I took because it led me to him. But I also, I also know that had I gone to 25 year old Laura and said, 
It's going to be okay. You're going to meet an absolutely incredible man who is going to be the the best person you have ever known, who will support you and love you in ways you didn't even know were possible. But it's not going to happen until you're 35. You're not going to get married until 38. And then you're going to struggle to get pregnant and you won't have your first baby, your only baby until you're 41, 42. <laughs> I would have cried myself to sleep. I would be like, I, no, I can't wait 10, 15 years for this. Right. Like, that it would have sounded terrible. But now knowing everything that I know and knowing everything that, that has happened and has transpired, it's, it's, it's my beautiful. story and I love it. I yeah. Love it. I love, I just love your story. There's so much commonality between your story and my story. I mean, my husband and I used to say the same thing. Like when we first got married, oh my God, I wish I would have met you 10 years ago. But I used to say the same thing to him. Like, no, Paola in her thirties was not the same, <laughs> like twenties, like Paola yeah. in her twenties was like in Vegas, partying up like a rock star. <laughs> like you wouldn't have wanted to be with me. Like I hadn't done any of the work like at all. Like I was still in my trauma and toxic behaviors, you would have not wanted to be with me. And also in your twenties, you would have never had a honeymoon at the Maldives. Oh God, no, no, couldn't have I had my that. honeymoon. I had my honeymoon in Bora Bora. There was nice. no way we would have had the honeymoon. <laughs> nope. I mean, it's like a completely different world. That's why I say like, enjoy your twenties, like really enjoy yeah. your twenties because I mean, my stepson is 18 and I still see him as like a little kid. Like, yeah, but there are some people that are getting married at 18, 19, 20 years old. It's like, you're still a child. Like enjoy, enjoy being a kid. Enjoy your singlehood. Like really women, when you're listening, females, as you're listening to this podcast, be fearless and enjoying your singlehood. Because there are so many benefits to being single. And there are so many other women out there that you can travel with if you don't want to travel alone. But if you want to travel alone, it's it's nice. Because yeah. like she said, you have no one to like check in with. You have no, well, do you want to eat this? No, I don't like sushi. Well, <laughs> you know, you don't have to deal with that. You just do what nope. you want to do. Eat what you want to eat at what time you want to eat. You know, and it's like, it's just an amazing experience. And I wish I would have really cherish being single. And instead of just focusing on like, I haven't made it to the train yet. Yeah. (laughs) Well, oh, totally. I saw an article recently within the last few weeks, and I don't even remember where I saw it. It was actually, it was, I only really read the headline because all I needed was the headline. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this makes so much sense to me. The headline was something like, it was a a article written by a woman who was like, I had my kids in my twenties. Like I was supposed to, now I'm in my mid forties and I have no idea what to do with my life because all the kids now, they're if you gone. had your kids in your twenties, they're gone. They're they're they've left the nest, and now you've spent the last however many years just being a mom. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's path is different. But for the people who aren't following that path and who think there's something wrong with them, I looked at that headline and I was like, this is why there's such a thing as a midlife crisis. Like it, it makes sense to me why people can can really struggle in their forties and then wonder, well, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, I spent my twenties and thirties having fun, enjoying myself, feeling more Mm -hmm. miserable than I wish that I had. But still, I got to go through that. I got to build up my career. I got to start a new career in my late 30s when I left TV. I got to go through all of this stuff. I got married at 38. And now I'm pregnant and I will be 42 in a couple of weeks. So I will be 42 when this baby is born in December. And 
I, while, while so many people could be watching their kids go off to college now, I'm about to have a newborn and start this whole new chapter of my life. So a midlife crisis, like I can't even, I can't even fathom it because now like it just keeps just new chapters keep popping up that are so cool. And so when I look at it this way, like, I'm really glad I had, I had my twenties as this time to just kind of enjoy myself and have fun and learn and make mistakes and yeah. do all of that. And and now when I'm already kind of dialing it back, like before, long before I got pregnant, long before COVID, I was like, I'm kind of done with the going out and, and just having a, you know, a blast all the time, every now and then, whatever. But like yeah. my life was already changing. I was already kind of settling more into this, I I want to relax a little bit more and not that having yeah. a baby is relaxing, but I do also know people who would have, who had kids in their twenties and then would watch me and other friends who were still single and didn't have kids go out and party and feel really like they were missing out on something because mm-hmm. they never got that time. Well, I got that time. And now when I naturally kind of want to dial it back and be more of a homebody, now I get to have the experience of being a mom. So, you know, um, sometimes the, the actual way it works out, <laughs> it can be, it can be so rewarding and make you mm. so much happier than you could have ever imagined. Yes, and absolutely. It doesn't have to go the one way you think. No. So as we wrap up this episode, Laura, what would be your nugget of wisdom for any female who's listening to this episode right now? I think just knowing that you are not alone just knowing that what you are feeling and what you are struggling is is with is really hard but you are not the only one who feels this way and that it's going to be okay i can't tell you what okay means or what it looks like for you you're going to be able to get through this and there's this quote that i absolutely love that i i i have taped up in my office it's a joseph campbell quote that says we must let go of the life we planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us Ooh. i think there's so much freedom in that like i love that quote yeah. so, oh, so how can my audience find you laura so I am active on Instagram at Laura B. Banky. The last name is B-E-H-N-K-E. Uh, you can find me at laurabanky.com or thelifeactuallycompany.com. And my podcast is called The Life Actually Podcast. And you can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. And Payola's episode is a good one. So go go back and find that one. <laughs> yes. And she also has a book that she wrote. Nope, I do. I've not written a book yet. That is oh. in the plans. Oh, I thought it said not, none yet, but I have plans. I thought that was I, the, the title of your oh, book. The title. <laughs> because that would that, be a good title. That would be a good title. I don't have kids yet, but I have plans. (laughs) That would be a good title. But no, Um, that the book is in is in the works and I hopefully I'm having a baby in six weeks. So hopefully after I have six weeks to get it done. (laughs) I can't wait to read your book because it was a great book. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Laura, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Paola. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you love this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. You can find me on the internet at fearlessfemale.com, on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And ladies, remember, we have the power to rise and face everything. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.